Hey guys, welcome back to the show. My name is Lauren and this is Liam. Hello. We really appreciate you tuning in and a big thank you especially to our live viewers. We have a fun show. We're going to be starting off with the discussion of the Antifa member who was part of that blockade that was harassing that old lady in Hamilton. He was found to be a Syrian refugee and now people are... Uh, apparently sending his family death threats. Um, then we have Trisha Paytas, who has come out as a trans gay man who is still feminine. And then some news about Sweden's issues with migrants. And we're going to be finishing off the show on a wholesome note about Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, yeah, something a little bit uplifting for once. Mm -hmm. And before we get into that, though, I just want to say that if you guys are watching and would like to support the show, uh, if you're watching live, don't forget you can give us super chats. Uh, we want to say a big thank you, especially for last week's show. You guys were yeah. beyond generous. We really appreciate it. So we're not going to be reading those during the show. But if you wait until like an hour into the stream, we are going to be going through all of your comments, questions, concerns. And uh, don't forget, if you want to go even further to help out, you can, of course, always head on over to blazetv.com slash Lauren for 10% off all of... Sorry, I'm reading two different promos. Uh, is it $10 off your... $10 off. Yeah, $10 off your yearly subscription with code yeah. Lauren. And then the new news we have today, another way you guys could chip in is uh, we have lovely merch. Yeah, you can get oh. mugs. Pseudo-intellectual, Blaze Media, not just mm -hmm. for our show, but any other show that's on the Blaze Network. Um, they're having a special right now, and that code is Lauren10 for 10% off, guys. I'm sorry, I put my phone on silent, but it's a new phone, and I don't I don't know how it works. You have to help me. It's an Android. I was an iPhone user. All right, so yeah, it's 10% off the entire order if you go to shop.blazemedia.com, and there's no minimum purchase requirements. You can use that code as many times as you want, and uh, the discount ends on the 13th at just before midnight central time, so Sunday at midnight. Um, so I'm wearing this one. If you're an audio-only listener, you won't be able to see, but it says pseudo-intellectual. Um, there are a lot of fun designs, and you know, not just our show, but yeah. you can get Chad Prather stuff, Ali Stucky stuff. Whatever. A lot of good designs, too, I have to say. Yeah. I was impressed. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, so to get right into it, Antifa. So a couple weeks ago, I think it's two weeks ago at this point, Dave Rubin and Maxim Bernier did an event for the PPC, People's Party of Canada, Canada's, I guess, center-right libertarian party in Hamilton, Ontario. We did our own coverage of the event. Um, you know, that video is up on anywhere you watch us. And something that happened at the event that went viral was that Antifa members were blocking the access of an elderly couple, including an older woman in with a walker. They were calling the elderly couple Nazis, blocking their path. It was it was just awful. Uh, here's a refresher of what that looked like in case anyone has forgotten. That was obviously upsetting to watch, which is why that clip got so much attention. I think mm -hmm. last count, it has over 7 million views. Yeah, at least. Yeah, yeah. It, and that's just one version of it. It was it was everywhere. And 
it really didn't take too long because it is the internet for people to begin identifying the Antifa members in that video. Uh, as you could see, they were all kind of wearing masks, masks or covering their faces, but apparently some of them did things like took smoking breaks outside of the venue that they were protesting or just took off their masks on the way home. So people did end up getting pictures of what they look like and then they were tracked down. Um, so not the best mastermind criminals and actually one of the members that was identified, the gentleman in the orange shirt, it turns out is a Syrian refugee who was settled into Canada in 2015. And Andy, Andy No had a tweet about this. Intelligence group X-Intel reports that one of the masked Antifa militants who harassed the elderly woman with the walker is Allah Sufi Dalua, or I've also been seeing him identified as al-Sufi. I can confirm that I independently verified this as well. Delua is a Syrian man who settled in Canada. Um, now, I think there has been some questions over whether that was doxing. Yeah, I was going to say, like, is that, that seems like something that we might be against. Just putting out these people's names. And their know, faces. And, and that, I, I understand that. And my thoughts did go to that as well initially when, you know, people started circulating their pictures and everything. But the thing is, they're... The, the police is investigating the incident that was caught on on video right now. Um, they're saying it might be possible charges include intimidation, assault, disguised with intent and mischief. So what what we witnessed just then was a crime, according to Canadian police. Right. So I think there's a difference between trying to dock someone because of their political opinions and trying to identify criminals so that they can be charged and prosecuted. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think we see this all the time. Police will issue like. Uh, be on the lookout for this person or whatever. I saw it all the time when I was in university campus when they had people suspected of thievery and things like that. I think there is a difference between trying to help police identify suspects and just doxing with malicious intent because you don't like someone's views. That's how I mm -hmm. see it, at least. Um, and in, in any case, let's see. The latest development in this story, because their identities were leaked, I think, sometime last week, very shortly after the event itself actually occurred. Um, apparently, this guy, his family owns a family restaurant in Toronto that serves Syrian food. And the family restaurant has now been kind of involved in the controversy. They've been featured as, it kind of seems like success stories for how great refugees and migrants are in Canada, which doesn't really make sense because from the reporting that I've seen on it, and I wasn't able to independently verify this myself, um, it kind of seems like before they were in Canada, in Toronto, they actually were living in the Gulf and owned a beach resort. That's what people are saying online. I wasn't able right. to see where they got that information from. If that is true, kind of seems like a misuse of the refugee system. I'm not saying that they wouldn't deserve to come over because I'm for people bringing money and opening businesses in Canada, like a restaurant, but refugees get a certain type of benefit that it kind of seems like maybe these people didn't need right they get handouts and Absolutely. stipends and things like that i will say that i also i kind of hate that they're considered model citizens because there's that old stereotype where everybody's like oh migrants are so good don't you like chinese food you know don't you like syrian food it's like all right, food's good, but but I think come okay, on. I agree. Like, like, like food, open, therefore open borders. Open, you know? like I, I mean, I I love ethnic food doesn't mean it's good enough for open borders. But I think the point was that they're business owners, yeah. right? To no, be, absolutely, yeah. Because yeah. Toronto is one of the most expensive cities in North America, and I mean, so that's just one of the reasons why the story of them being refugees doesn't make sense. Like, how do you get the money? We, like within a few years of coming to Canada as refugees to open mm. up like a legit brick and mortar 
in Toronto. It, it, it It's strange. But in any case, nothing against the family aside from that. But because of their son, his identity being revealed, um, people were kind of I guess, drawing attention to the fact that his family owned a restaurant. And so the restaurant is named Sufi's. And they actually released a statement on their social media regarding their son's involvement in the protests. We have it here. They said, in light of Sunday's events and the photos slash videos that have been circulating around Facebook and social media, we would like to formally apologize for the unfortunate incident that occurred with the elderly woman. Allah regrets that he did not step aside and or stand up against the act of verbal abuse that occurred against her and would love the opportunity to personally extend his apologies to her. That said, we affirm that he did not in any way verbally or physically assault the elderly woman or any other person. From what I can tell in the video, it doesn't seem like he specifically was yelling at the woman, so... I think I heard him a couple times yeah? saying something, but he okay. was definitely out testosterone by the other two. <laughs> yeah. Um, they continue, Our family and business do not condone acts of hate, violence, or harassment in any shape or form and advocate for peace, equality, and free speech for all human beings. Our family immigrated to Canada with the intention of living and working peacefully. Our family's restaurant is the product of our desire to share and spread our love for our food and culture. We are extremely lucky and grateful to be here and are in awe of the kindness and warmth of the Canadian people. We respect people's opinions and judgments. However, we kindly ask that people refrain from sending abusive and or threatening messages to our staff and family members. With love, the Al-Sufi. So, I mean, I think that's a pretty good statement for them to have released. Yep, I like that absolutely. they, um, you know, they talk about how they don't condone hate, harassment, violence. They stand up for peace, equality, and free speech. Love that. The thing is, though, and I, by the way, I don't condone them being wrapped into the situation at all, right? Because I, from what I can tell, the, the guy's parents own this business, why this involves them, I still will not understand. But I will say that it doesn't seem like their defense of their son seems very legit in light of some of the things people have dug up of him at past events. And, you know, I'm not saying that these parents were lying because, again, I don't know them. And it's completely possible that he came to them and said, Mom, Dad, I don't know. I like I was invited by friends. I had no idea what was going on. I just, you know, it happened so fast. I think he's been saying that the mask he was wearing was someone else that like they gave it to him or something. So I someone mean, put it on him. Exactly. He didn't have a choice. You know? I can totally see that maybe this guy is just lying to his parents and the parents wanting to believe their son or sticking up for him. Um, but I think we know that's not the case, aside from the fact that it's very, I would imagine, hard to stand in front of an old woman while people are yelling at her and still think you're in the right there. Um, there is a Twitter user, actually, I think several of them, who have been compiling footage of the same guy at different Antifa protests, taking part in violence, taking part of like, uh, I think it looked like at one point he himself had grabbed someone's hat off and was like in a confrontation with the cops. Uh, we have this clip here, and I'm sorry to these yeah. parents, don't know what to tell you. Seems like your son's a piece of crap. Some of it, I will say, you have to look for the guy in it, but mm -hmm. a lot of it is a lot of it's obvious. But s certain ones, like the fight scenes, you have to look for him in the background. Yeah, but he's there. Yeah. With your feet in the air and your head on the ground. Try this trick and spin it, yeah. Your head will collapse and there's nothing in it and you'll ask yourself, where is my mind? Yeah, oh, so where is my mind? 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 Where is my
So the idea that he didn't know what was going on, he was just wrapped into this, having a trouble, having a hard time believing that. Um, but, you know, dirtbag son aside, people actually started sending this family and their restaurant threats. And that is not okay. I mean, I don't even think threats should be sent to the son. Don't send threats to everyone. I think the son should be held accountable for his actions because, I mean, like getting violent and up in people's faces, that's, that is illegal. I, I fully believe in holding people accountable under the law. And, uh, you know, definitely maybe we rethink our immigration system. I, I don't think that uh, political violence or intimidation is really in line with Canadian values. If you ask me, a little values test might be nice, but uh, ultimately two wrongs do not make a right. Sending someone a threat doesn't say anything about their behavior, it says everything about your own behavior. It's morally re reprehensible to try to threaten someone and not to mention illegal. You are committing a crime if you threaten someone. Um, but especially don't send threats to their family. Like, yeah, I, yeah I, that's I, next level. Yeah, you and I get a lot of crap doing this show and just our, our, our parents, our family, they don't have anything to do with this. Um, I, I'm imagining it's the same for this person and just I hate that in today's society. And we'll get into this more with the Ellen segment, but our, our first instinct is who who surrounding them can I hurt? Like, can I go after their friends, their their employment, their family, their family's employment? It's just awful. And what really made the story blow up is that it was announced that in light of all of the threats and harassment they've been receiving, the family is actually now closing down their restaurant. They posted this onto their Instagram account, permanently closed. They wrote, as a result of numerous hate messages and death threats we've received over the past week, we've decided to permanently close our shop. Our decision is made with a heavy heart in effort to maintain our family and staff's safety. We would like to thank our lovely customers and Queen Street neighbors for their wonderful support over the past two years. And, and it just goes on with that, with love, the Al Sufi family. And I know a lot of people, when this kind of things happen happens, they say, okay, are they exaggerating? The family actually did provide uh, screenshots and photos of threats that were sent to them on social media. And look, when it comes to actual physical altercations one-on-one -on -one in real life, I'm totally with you guys for being skeptical. But when it comes to death threats online, I don't have any trouble believing a person has received death threats oh, no, online. Absolutely. You can post the most innocent thing and you'll still get death threats online. Not that yep. it makes it any less serious but it's like it's disgusting in it's light so cowardly of, yeah it's just, very cowardly but yeah. in light of like the media surrounding her son their son i don't have any trouble believing that they did get death threats because yeah absolutely but i guess i guess to me where my kind of lizard brain goes is like did this really force them to close or was there also financial reasons they they weren't doing that well already because yeah. i don't know anyone that would shut down their profitable business over something like that that seems very strange to me and i really hope maybe i'm being really jaded right now but that they're not playing this like a victim card in hopes of profiting off it some like way some from... very lucrative gofundme and i think that's like right. a reasonable thing to question um from what i saw the police is going to start looking into these threats because i mean and maybe we are so jaded being used to this sort of like online onslaught of hate and stuff. But it's like there's a difference for me between some random person saying, oh, I'm going to kill you. We get that a lot versus something that looks like an actionable threat. Yeah. And like I'm at a point now where maybe maybe we're just more used to it than these people were.
if, if it's just some random crazy online, it's not going to scare me. It's not going to change how I behave. It would be very different if, you know, someone had home address or personal information. I actually believe that they were going to do something. So, I mean, maybe the police and stuff, the family know stuff we don't know. Uh, their address with this restaurant is publicly available. Maybe that's affected things as well. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are condemning the hatred and violence against them, which is totally legitimate. But it kind of seems like I mean, I'm referring to Canadian politicians, specifically Justin Trudeau and Andrew Scheer, who, if you're not familiar with him, he's the leader of our fake conservative party here. Um, they've both condemned the harassment against the restaurant, but it kind of seems like they only care to condemn hate when it affects their own constituents, right? Because, I mean, uh, with the whole incident with the older woman being harassed by Antifa or even the Antifa presence at the PPC event at all, I don't think either of them said anything. I didn't see a peep from them. No, I didn't see a peep from them. So, I mean, not to say that they're wrong in condemning this. They should. We all should. But it's like, why Why just now? Why didn't you say anything about how awful hatred and division is before when it was your political opponents being affected? It just seems kind of fishy to me. And yeah. Maxime Bernier, who is the leader of the PPC, who was actually the the event that the Antifa conflict happened at was his event with Dave Rubin. He released a statement on it too, saying, unlike Justin Trudeau and Andrew Scheer, I condemn both the hate and threats directed at this family because of the actions of their son and the hate and verbal assault from Antifa thugs directed at an 81-year-old woman at our Hamilton event last week. So it's not hard to condemn both, both no. instances as... I think they're trying to play into the card where, look, Max and Bernier's fans are harassing this immigrant family. Like yeah. They're trying to make the PPC look like a racist party, which has been the go-to for, you know, the Republican Party should be used to this in the States. Yeah, it's the same thing over so, here with the PPC. Yeah, that's that. And that's what they were chanting. You know, they were calling people Nazis on the street. And and in some way, the Prime Minister and, and Andrew Scheer are getting behind that by not condemning their actions and by trying to make Max's party supporters look like, you know, racist. Yeah, and, bigots, racist. And yeah. I will say that, Okay, the the video of the couple being harassed, that has 7 million views. Yeah. I would love to say that the PPC has 7 million members, <laughs> but we don't. Uh, you know, my hope in the future of Canadian politics would be very different if we did. But it's like, there's no reason to believe that, you know, Max and Bernier or the PPC or its members are directly related to the threats. There's not enough there. And even the way that Canadian media has been reporting on this, they've been saying like, you know, uh, threats related to Maxime Bernier force... Uh, restaurant closure of refugees yeah. and it's like really that's how you're what gonna smear. that's how you're gonna frame this so it's just um yeah just an unfortunate incident all around uh sympathies to the family i hope they're okay i hope that uh people who have sent them threats the police that you know they get to the bottom of it and i also hope that the people who are assaulting the lady get held accountable for their actions because there's just it seems like there's like a lot of trash out there lately and i hope things get cleaned up a little bit uh moving on to trisha paytas so Oof. if you don't know who trisha paytas is how do you describe her um what is she a beauty no no she's just like a like youtuber a, a vlogger a kind drama of. youtuber almost yeah and she's also an adult entertainer which, which we didn't know we until... didn't know until we took a look at her twitter Ooh. um yeah anyway graphic don't, don't do it at least not in public I don't know. <laughs> so Ever. she has millions of followers online. I think she's like one of the OG YouTubers. I, I've yep. never really been a big follower of hers, but I've always kind of known or heard about her, seen her videos pop up 
for like years and years now. So she has millions of followers and she is best known for kind of being involved in drama and controversy. She often does videos crying on her kitchen floor about various things. That's I feel the like, only time I've ever seen any no, videos same, of Because like, that's when they bleed into the rest of the YouTube realm. And that's where they get then, a lot of attention. Right. So she like in, in my mind, that's what she's best known for, crying on her kitchen floor about various things. And she's also people... I mean, I don't follow her enough to be able to make any huge comments about her character or personality, but mm -hmm. I know in the past she has spoken out about being gay and then she came out as bi or maybe bi first, then gay. I don't know. She's also said that she was black once. She did a video about like changing her ethnicity or something. Uh, she's also come out as like a Trump supporter, a Republican at one That's point, uh, like a Christian at other point. Like she's, she is all the things basically. Yeah. For yeah. So like as much as we are going to talk about a, a segment involving her, the 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 gist of our segment, we don't really want to talk too much about her because because the the content, you know, like she she might be wanting it. This might all be a play to some degree. Yeah. So, so this this really isn't about Trisha Paytas so much as it is the trans community. Yes. Because the latest thing she is claiming to be is a trans female to male transgender gay person who still presents feminine. Yeah, it's a drag drag male. That is attracted to gay men. No, she's the gay man attracted to. Yeah, but she's a, she's a. Oh yeah, a no. She is a male that likes to dress up in drag and is attracted to gay men. Yeah, and the man would need to be gay in order to be attracted to her technically, even though she looks like a woman because she identifies as a man. Correct. Quite the world we live in. Okay, so we have a clip of her announcing all of that here. That's why I identify more as like a gay man because I like guys, but I also identify as a guy. If that makes sense. The thing that kind of like stops it is I do love, which a lot of gay men do too, I do love like glam and voluptuousness. So in my head, I feel like I'm a transgender female to male, but also like a drag queen. That's how I, that's kind of how I've like rationalized it in my head. Yeah, that's a, it's quite the thing. Yeah. Not quite sure I fully understand it, but you know, whatever. Um, so when she released that, people predictably had a lot to say. And look, I'm not part of the trans community myself. I'm also not a huge Trisha Paytas viewer. So this is like, I've really just been observing this as an outsider, enjoying all the chaos around me. Uh, and it kind of seems like there were two, or there's two different approaches to what we see going on. Yeah. Um, so I think if you're like one of the old school trans people, if there even is such a thing. But, you know, one of the trans people who believes in such a thing as a gender binary, uh, maybe someone like Blair White, who actually did her own video responding to Trisha, um, then you would kind of see this as bullcrap, frankly, right? Because you can't be a trans man, but identify with your birth gender, which she did say in the video that she still identifies with her birth gender, because that's kind of defeating the whole purpose or meaning of mm -hmm. being trans. And basically everything Trisha was saying in her video just made it seem like she was kind of a tomboy who at the same time had a taste for drag aesthetics and was into gay, me gay men. But like that, that doesn't make you a man. Like those are all your preferences, which are great, but it's like your personality is not the same as your gender. Um, so, and also like she's not transitioning at all. So this is literally, in some ways, it could be said her coming out as special yet again. Um, but... If you're someone who subscribes to the non-binary sense of things, then I'm sorry, but the way I see it, again, as someone who is not part of this LGBT community who is just trying her best to understand it, it kind of seems like you don't have any any right to say anything about the way Trisha Paytas identifies. That's what I would say. I mean, where, what, 
what grounds do you have to reject her identification? Yeah, as a and trans yeah, her man, right? lived experience as a trans man because, like, yes, she does present pretty feminine, but she like, and she, to be fair, she's never said anything about gender dysphoria until now. But if I remember correctly, like, we're not supposed to gatekeep the trans experience, right? People with Riley Dennis Absolutely. were saying, like, no, people were gatekeeping and it was wrong. Seems like that's what some people are doing now, and that the trans community isn't just for people who don't. Ooh, sorry, the trans community is not just for people who actually transition. You can still be trans if you don't transition. That's something that I've heard a lot too. Um, and that your gender identity and presentation doesn't need to fit neatly into the masculine or feminine paradigm if you're transitioning the gender. So you can still be a trans man mm -hmm. who presents feminine and that shouldn't affect it. So from what I've seen, it kind of seems like Trisha is fallen right in, right in line with yeah, all the things that... In fact, didn't we read a tweet last week or two weeks ago that said the most transphobic thing you could do is say that you're not trans. Yes, I think so, we uh, might, something yeah. like that. So, uh, I don't know. She seems, it seems to fit in with exactly what the trans community is advocating for. But I think that, and I'm not saying that they're wrong, they kind of say, hey, there's something up here. This might yeah. not be legitimate. But oh. it's, it's perfect proof that their system is highly flawed, right? Yeah, because I think a lot of people do think of Trisha Paytas as a troll because of all the things, like uh, I mentioned before. Yes. She's done a lot of kind of outrageous things that people do think is for attention. It's worked super big online. Um, yep, and I think she's been trying to market. I, I, when I did look at her Twitter page, there was some business stuff going on there, I would say, you know, trying to make yeah. a buck off the attention that she's going to be getting. Exactly, but I mean... I just don't think people who subscribe to the type of ideology she's referring to have any grounds to disbelieve her from based on what they've said. Because to be honest, some of the most vocal trans activists online that I've seen or non-binary people, like frankly, looking at them and listening to them, you would probably just assume they were regular effeminate men or butch women. Like, I mean, the, the label of trans has become really stretched out with the whole inclusion of non-binary gender identities so it's like uh, is she wrong to be saying the stuff that she's people are upset about it but i don't quite understand with based on their own logic why and um, we have some examples of the backlash she's gotten so steph senjati who is a very popular uh male to female trans youtuber I, I don't know if she subscribes to this whole the non-binary thing, but she says this would be more funny if girls weren't being killed for disclosing this fact. And then Trisha replies, it's not meant to be funny because I don't look like a traditional male on the outside. I'm a joke. Men can wear dresses, heels and makeup, you know, close minded and ignorant, which is like, I mean, <laughs> maybe she's just like the greatest troll of that, all time. That felt like a troll post right there. That almost like the close minded and ignorant part. I was like, that sounds like a Donald Trump thing right there. No, you but she's that, like. You but know. she's right in saying like that is what they would say. Yep, no, I agree. I, I, I agree. don't get it. Like Completely. it is kind of um, heteronormative to say that a trans man can't wear dresses, heels, and makeup. Yeah. I don't know. Um, someone else said you put trans men in danger with this video. That I think is kind of unfair because I I, I don't. She, I'm pretty sure she's maybe doing this for attention, but I still don't know if it's fair to say she's putting people in danger by doing this. Yeah, that seems like a bit of a stretch. It seems like a bit of a stretch, but... Um, but we also know that what they consider danger and violence is like a... Very arbitrary. Yeah. yeah, very loose definitions of those terms, so... Yeah, I don't know. To me, it looks like these trans activists have kind of backed themselves into a corner. Um, in any case, though, Trisha, after all of this controversy over what she did, she released another video elaborating more on her transness. Is it... Is it an apology video? She uh, it's it's. I mean, the video is called apology. 
but and she does say things that have the word apologize and I'm sorry in them, but it's basically yeah, because she doesn't like back a, down. I'm sorry on that your trans. feelings are hurt, but I am a man, and yeah, anyways, I mean, I and so listen. yeah, we have a clip from that video, and I think you guys should note that she is, I think, on her living room this time, on the floor crying. So yes. yeah, classic Trisha Paytas. I identify as a male. Like I do. I do. I don't know. <laughs> it's so hard because I've been through therapy for the past six months over this. I've been through talking. I, I've t talked about this over and over. I know maybe I created this for myself that what I used to troll years and years and years ago, people just cannot take me seriously. And that's, I guess, just something I have to deal with. I just hate having to like hide something. So, I mean, I don't know. And to be clear here, I don't hate anyone. Like, I don't hate Trisha Paytas. She can, no. I don't know what she's going through, whatever, but I, I don't hate her for I, sure. I would be willing to say that she probably from what i've seen with um, about her over the years she probably actually does have some some mental issues and, yeah and probably does need professional help and it does sound like she's talking to a therapist but maybe not the right type of therapist mm -hmm. i would say because the therapist has been advising her on specifically on the subject right yeah so maybe she's but, it's kind of like she's being led by this therapist which i know can happen sometimes depending on the therapist you go to i mean in any case i wish her the best uh she i think is not in the best place right now, but I hope she gets to a better one soon. Why I'm interested in the story is not really to condemn Trisha Paytas, but no. it's just, I'm not sure what differentiates her experience as a trans man, which apparently is clickbait and disrespectful to the trans community, all that, um, versus the experience of someone like Sam Smith, who came out as non-binary and everyone like loved, and he was a brave trans hero for the community. like. What what is the difference between these two situations? Because it just seems like to me, looking at them, they 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 both look like just regular people. Yeah. So what makes one super brave, inspiring versus the other one um, clickbait trash doing it for money? I don't know. Frankly, I think it's fair to say that a lot of these trans activists may not be able to articulate why exactly they have a problem with this either, without kind of walking back on thing that, things they've said before. Right. I I would like. To hope they would give them pause and maybe a little bit of, you know, they have a little bit of introspection, a little yeah. bit of time for reflection, but I suspect that... Probably not. Not. Yeah. I don't know. Um, in any case, best of luck to you, uh, Mr. Trisha Paytas. Uh, our next story is about Sweden. So elections are coming up. They're this month in Canada and mm -hmm. next year in the US. And I think like everywhere in the Western world, really immigration is a really hot topic. And not just immigration in general, but there's a real pushback, I think, to this uncontrolled mass migration, large-scale refugee acceptance that we've seen for the maybe past five or so-ish years, especially. Um, so I, I don't have a problem with immigration as a concept. My dad is an immigrant. I've been an immigrant myself. I mean, immigrants can be huge boons to the culture and economy of, of a nation under the right circumstances. Um, however, if you watch this show, you'll know that the way I feel about mass migration and like large scale refugee reallocation specifically is, is very different. Um, not a fan of importing the rest of the world into Western cultures because of overwhelming white guilt, which I think is what's driving a lot of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the issue with the conversation around mass migration in North America, though, is that up until recently, 
because the last few years have been very migrant heavy, especially in Canada, than you know historically has been the case. But before that, we we didn't really have much of an immigration issue like Europe has had for longer. So when people have spoken out about things um, like mass migration here and in the U.S., they're often called things like fear mongers. They're accused of lying to smear refugees, all of this kind of stuff. But the thing with mass migration is that we can actually look to Europe as an example of what happens when you let people into your country kind of indiscriminately. Yeah. And there I mean, are a few years ahead of us. There, know, they, there are so. a few years ahead of us. And I mean, I, I sort of feel bad about looking at their situation, their countries now, but I think best case scenario for us, we can use these countries uh, as examples of what could happen depending on how we handle the immigration issue. One of the countries that's been the most, let's say, generous uh, with taking in migrants is, of course, Sweden. Um, and there have been a couple of reports that have come out recently that I think are relevant to discuss in light of our ongo ongoing conversations over here in North America about whether we want to follow in Sweden's footsteps. Um, so we begin here. Sweden, around 90% of 2015 migrants with residency status are unemployed. One of the things we always hear in the debate around immigration is like, but they're so good for the economy. Yeah. This is amazing for the economy. Um, immigrants yeah. can be great for the of economy. Course, yeah. If we could take in like a thousand Elon Musks per year, great, let's do it. The thing is, different people have different capabilities. And when you don't filter them at all, I don't see why you'd expect just like the, the best and brightest to come in when you're showing no preference for them at all. Because there are immigration systems that can favor mm -hmm. things like high-skilled migrants, uh, but those are generally called racist now. So, <laughs> and especially when we're in the business of phasing out low-skilled labor, right? Yes. So it's like there's there's no reason to not be importing the Elon Musks, you right? Know? But but you don't want to import maybe people they, to compete with your native population that are that are competing for a smaller and smaller amount of, of jobs. That's right. Low-skilled like, labor, yeah. With automation, the the truth is the minimum wage jobs, the low-skilled jobs. Um, they are becoming fewer and far between. We see that, uh, you know, kiosks at McDonald's, self-checkout at Walmart. This is a thing. Those jobs are already shrinking in number. Why would we want to import more people to compete for that small pool of jobs and, and hurt the most vulnerable people in our economy? I don't really understand it. But uh, Breitbart writes that of the 40,000 migrants with permanent residency residency status who are eligible to work, only 4,574 of them support themselves independently through working, according to Statistics Sweden's Integration Database for Health Insurance and Labor Market Studies. A further 9,970 migrants receive money to study in Sweden. I don't know why you'd pay foreigners to study in your country. Actually, something that I like about Canada is that when international students come to study at our universities, we actually charge them way more. So they subsidize. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, I mean. Oh, actually, I don't know if that's at least at one of our universities. No, here. no that, that is true. I mean, what is weird about Canada is that people from outside the province of that school pay more than international students. Yeah, so that, that's that also sounds weird. strange. But yeah, I don't it have makes a problem that, uh, with international students being charged more. Because, well, yeah. I mean, in reality, like the way it actually is working is the people that let's say you're going to school in Quebec, you've already paid for a lot of the school via taxes, right? True. So it's like extremely painfully high taxes. Yeah. I will add. So. Um, but yeah, uh, they continue another 18,405 are on municipal welfare programs. Eight of the 10 municipalities, which took in the most migrants per population in 2015 also have unemployment rates far above the national average Aftonbladet reports. Um, the figures come only days after the European union statistics 
European Union Statistics Agency Eurostat revealed that Sweden was now 24th out of 28 member states in terms of unemployment. Figures released last year showed a stark contrast between the native Swedish unemployment rate and the foreign-born unemployment rate. As a result, many municipalities, which took in a high number of asylum seekers in 2015, have recently announced major financial troubles, some on the verge of bankruptcy. So, again, this is not to say that, you know, migrants will cost you money. It's, it is to say that some might, and it's kind of up to you as a country to be able to decide and distinguish who will be, you know, a gift to the economy versus a burden on the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? There's reason to take in some burden for the economy if they're a legitimate refugee. Yeah. Right? Th- but I that's think... not the same as a migrant, right? There's a very big distinction mm-hmm. there. Right. Because I think in Sweden, a lot of Europe, what we've seen, and Lauren Southern did a report on this, that a lot of the people who are fleeing and coming in, they're not what you would think of as a classic refugee. No. Someone who's fleeing a war-torn area is being persecuted for their religious belief or whatever of that and is like imminent threat of danger. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of these people coming in, they're actually just, you know, your average citizen from maybe a developing country. Yeah, a young, a young male out to, uh, you know, forge a path. And, right, you know, they hear wanting is paradise economic and, uh, benefits that they wouldn't right. be able to have in their own country. And I understand that. Yep, I totally absolutely. understand that. And I it, would do that for my, like every, we're, we're all out to improve our lives the most we can, yep. e- except for people in Sweden for some reason, <laughs> who are like altruistic to the point of economic suicide, it sounds. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's immoral because you you are hurting your neighbors that, that mm-hmm. don't consent to that kind of thing. And your but, children who will now not be able to grow up in an environment with the same economy or safety standards that you grew up in. Yeah, and, and even more, these people that are coming here are told that they're going to get a job and be able to live this affluent lifestyle. And they come here and they find that they're living, you know, it's not that comfortable of a life. It, yeah. it gets cold in Sweden as well, by the and way. And it's like a lot of them and, are put into slums and ghettos. Right. And I just remember actually in Lauren Southern's documentary uh, on a bit of a side note, but I remember there was a an African um, gentleman of some sort who had migrated to France and, you know, he found himself living under a bridge, essentially. They're saying, I wish I hadn't come here. What they told me wasn't true. And, yeah. and, it, and it was very sad because I, for some reason he couldn't leave the country at that point. But Well, I think like a lot of them, maybe they come over without papers and are told, right. oh, you don't need papers. Yeah. You, you kind of do. Like it's easy to get into Europe. It's not that easy. And then they find out that they can't work when they're there. So it's like, this is not, they may be doing this with the help, sorry, with the hope of helping people, but they're not really, this is not how you help people. This has never been the way that you bring mass numbers of people out of poverty. It's just not. Uh, Another gem from Sweden, apparently bombings and explosions are also up in 2019, 45%. Breitbart writes, statistics revealed by the police show that Sweden saw a total of 83 explosive incidents during the period from January to July, a number that has increased to 120 this year, Swedish newspaper Dagens Nyheter reports. And by the way, I know that Breitbart leans right. I'm not unaware of their bias. Obviously, they admit yeah. it themselves. I encourage you guys, if you're skeptical about this, if you want to kind of examine these numbers more, go to the 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 sources that they're citing explore it for yourself because i know Mm -hmm. i've tried to have this conversation with many people and they'll dismiss the news source at first but it's like okay but what about the actual reports they're citing i I think it's harder to claim those are just right-wing propaganda um they continue criminologist sven granath commented on the explosions saying yes unfortunately it has increased why we do not know (laughs) this may be due to the increase in gun violence at the national level again who can say why that is yeah Uh, in individual locations there may be one or more conflicts between criminal networks but it is very difficult to know um peter 
Drankula, head of investigations at the South Police Department working against serious organized crime, told Dagens Nyheiter that the explosions are likely linked to organized crime and could be increasing due to stricter firearms legislation. The southern multicultural city of Malmo, I believe I've heard of Malmo before and maybe in reference to certain no-go zones, not sure, hmm. uh, has seen a particularly high number of explosion cases in the last several years with 58 cases in 2017, 45 last year, and 23 so far in 2019. Earlier this year, the city saw three explosions in the span of just 24 hours. Okay, you know what? Europeans, for a long time, you've looked down on the US for the gun crime issue and I'm not saying that it's not something that needs to be looked at, but at least Detroit doesn't have grenade attacks. Like, this is this is unbelievable. I don't know why this isn't getting more attention, like, worldwide. Why more people... I mean, like... Well, you do know why. Yeah, I do know yeah. why. <laughs> we know all why. know why it's not getting attention. Because yeah, but of, I don't like know, why. It's hate facts, right? But Exactly. Um, so, yeah, unemployment up, bombings up, and oh, look at that, gunshot wounds also up. Uh, Sweden, people treated for gunshot wounds up 20% in 2018. The statistics from the Swedish National Board of Health and Welfare Patient Register shows that in 2018, a total of 148 people were treated with gunshot injuries, 26 more than the previous year. According to the board, the statistics do not reflect those who had died as a result of gunshots and died at the scene of the shootings. Okay, so what they're saying here is that these are the number of people who've come into a hospital and been treated for gunshot wounds, but there could be more people who are actually shot. It just so happens that they died at the scene of the crime. Mm -hmm. Um so it continues later, the head of the trauma center at Karolinska University Hospital, Lennart Adamat. Adamson, sorry, added, we don't see everyone here because many die before they come here. The, there are more violent acts of aggression. We can get an alarm, but they never come because they're already dead on the spot. That has changed. Last year also saw a record number of fatal shootings in Sweden, with Stockholm police expert Gunnar Applegren describing the situation in the country as being like a state at war. And I think whenever any of these like crime increases happen, it's important to try to understand why. So it's like, I don't think it would be effective to call for grenade control in Sweden, just like I don't think it's effective to call for knife control in London. You need to try to explore why crime is happening more so now than before. It's, it's like in London, it's not that just there are more knives available. And in Sweden, I don't think that 20 years, there would be the same number of grenade attacks if the grenades were just more readily available. I think a lot of these issues do kind of stem from the migration issue. It's uncomfortable to talk about, but I'm guessing it's also uncomfortable to try to treat explosion and gunshot wounds, wound victims. Um, it's awful. And finally, we, we wouldn't be able to complete a discussion of the situation in Sweden without mentioning rape. Apparently, there's been a 14% rise in rape reports since last year in Sweden. They write, the Swedish capital saw a 14% increase in the number of reported rapes from January to June of 2019 compared to the same period last year. In the first six months of 2018, 930 rape cases were reported, a number that has increased to 1,060 during the same period in the following year, with there now being an average of five rape cases reported in the city per day. So five per day just in Stockholm. Um, and they later write that in June, the Swedish government announced they would be tackling steps to hire hundreds of additional police to help tackle serious sex offenses against women and children and other people deemed to be particularly vulnerable. 
The increase, the increase comes after figures revealed a 13% increase in the number of sex offenses involving children as victims in 2018 nationwide. The report released in January showed that overall rape attacks in Sweden had increased by 33% in a decade. And now... When it comes to sexual assault in Sweden, I know people like to say, oh, well, there's actually a change in the way that rape was defined in Sweden. It was kind of expanded to involve a lot more things, which is why it looks like the number has increased. Even if you look at the period just after that change in the definition happened, rape is still increasing, right? At, at an alarming rate. And it's, it's, again, it's not just women that are being targeted, it's children. I'm not going to say that Sweden is a hellhole because I'm sure there are certain places, plenty of places in Sweden that are completely fine. But I think it is fair to say that among particularly particular neighborhoods, uh, it, it does kind of seem like it's becoming a, a little bit of a hellhole. And again, I'm not against immigration, but the thing is people may assimilate, but groups generally don't. And mm -hmm. when you let entire groups in indiscriminately scores at a time and you allow them to ghettoize, I don't see why you'd expect them to act any differently in your country from how they acted in in their country. Yeah. And I, I hate how this conversation has devolved into, oh, you want border controls? You're racist. You're a Nazi. I just think the people who advocate for these policies are naive. Like, I, I think mm. they're well-meaning, progressive, probably wealthier liberals who have bought into the narrative that the only thing wrong with developing countries is that they've been exploited by the West. Um, and I don't think they understand that these countries have real problems of their own to work through. And exporting all of their populations into our countries doesn't doesn't of fix course. any of that. I mean, you just have to ask why in most places in the world, all these stats are going in the opposite direction, right? right. We're, we're seeing a slow but steady decline in, in rates of violence, Which crime, is amazing. You know, even sexual violence, even with some of the redefinitions that we're doing, even here in Canada, you know, yeah. we're, all, we're all doing it now. But we're seeing a decline in all these numbers for the most part. But in, in instances like this where you have... The situation in Sweden. Multicultural we're, we're seeing, populations. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's going the opposite way. We need to be able to talk about why. And whenever I try to bring up things like this, um, whenever people criticize mass migration, people will bring up sob stories of like these persecuted, extremely talented migrants who are probably disabled because we'll throw that into. And it's like, no one is saying no immigrants at all. Okay, well, like, like five people on the internet are saying no immigrants at all. But if you look at... People like Trump or even Maxime Bernier, who, again, is like our the, the, the only party you could actually call conservative by American standards in Canada, like they're not against refugee programs. They actually want to be able to better vet refugees to make sure that the people who are in the most need, who are being persecuted, like re religious minorities, that they get taken in because the system won't be full of all these other false claims of people who are really just economic migrants who want to come to the U.S. or Canada, which, again, I understand, but we don't have room for everybody to come. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to be able to touch upon that. Obviously, this is a an issue we've talked about before. We'll likely be talking about it again. It's just with all these reports coming out, I thought it would be a good time to do that. And again, I urge you to try to look at the firsthand sources yourself if you're skeptical about any of this. Okay, our final segment um, is a story that should be a non-story but has somehow evolved into a controversy. But at the same time, I think it is kind, kind of uplifting, right? It's, it's yeah, a nicer no, one agree. in a lot of ways. This is an uplifting story that I didn't bring on the show for once. It was, yeah. it was Lauren of her own volition. Um, so Ellen DeGeneres, was, who, by the way, is a like a daytime talk show host comedian. One of the biggest, in fact. She's oh, yeah. huge, right? I mean, everybody um, knows who she is. Frankly, I'm surprised if you don't know, and this is the first you're, you're hearing of her. So she was recently spotted attending 
some sort of sports game. I don't know. It was which a sport. Dallas Cowboys game. Again, I don't know which sport that is, but anyway, she was attending a. She was seen attending a sports game uh, with George W. Bush. People are going to be outraged at that. People are going. That's like the biggest football team in America. It's football. America's football team. No, that doesn't make sense. It's just Texas. I don't know. Sports ball. Okay, so. She was seen with W. Bush at the game, and she actually felt it necessary because of, I guess, backlash she was receiving online. Don't look at me like that just because I don't know the... the I don't even watch football at all, basically. Cowboys? Yeah, come on. Whatever. Okay. Um, so she she did a segment on her show essentially defending her friend choices, and um, we have some clips of that here. I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think that we've forgotten that that's okay that we're all different. For instance, I wish people wouldn't wear fur. I don't like it, but but I'm friends with people who wear fur. And I, I have, but just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean that I'm not gonna be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way that you do. I mean be kind to everyone. How is being friends with a Republican, even Bush, worthy of a segment? Now, I don't i don't understand well, um, it's not but the responses to this definitely made it a segment exactly really, you know? and so i mean a lot of people really supported this this got a lot of likes a lot of people of all political persuasions were saying yes thank you ellen for this positive message however um you know some people were also dismissing what she was saying saying oh no one's giving her a hard time for being friends with george bush she's just trying to get attention or like there's no cancel culture there's no outrage mob literally on on the uh, I guess the in response to the tweet that she posted this video to, people were outraged at her. So it's like I'm, I'm sorry if you if you think people weren't upset about this, you weren't paying close enough attention. Um, because unfortunately, we, we are living in a world that is cruel, that is vindictive, that does want to punish people who don't think the same way as you by trying to ostracize them. And I mean, I think this would have happened no matter which Republican she was seen with. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, because it was George W. Bush, there kind was... easy pickings, yeah, to be A lot of people were bringing up the Iraq war. And the thing is, I I have never been a Bush supporter. I don't support the war in Iraq. But no. a lot of the things that people were saying, I thought were ridiculous. So these are the tweets she received in response to her message of, be kind to everyone, even when you disagree. Okay. So this guy with a lovely, if you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, his avatar is... A, a turd that looks like Trump. So this just to prepare you for what's about to be said. Mm -hmm. um, Mock quoting her, she says, I'm kind to the guy who is responsible for the deaths of half a million Iraqi civilians. As long as you dance and make cute jokes, it's all okay. He also says, it doesn't matter that a boy is without his mom or dad because of the man's policies next to me. My PG-13 jokes and this ability I have to simply not care allows me to sleep at night in my mansion. Now let's dance. Okay, so... This may be the like Middle East studies uh, major part of me, but if you think that Bush single-handedly caused the exactly. war in Iraq, mm. that's not what what happened at all. And again, like I don't support Bush, I don't support the war no. in Iraq, but to say that he single-handedly, not to mention the military-industrial complex, not to mention a, a faulty intelligence reports. Yeah, not that's to what I understood was the main cause. Of yeah, no, a, a lot of exactly. It, right? so. Not to mention Saddam. I'm not saying that it was right the invasion but i mean you know he refused to let in iea inspectors and like this wasn't just due to george bush no, as a single person not. and find me a president that hasn't passed some legislation that has negatively affected that some has family killed people. right that ha right you know it, it happens like a drone you, bomber yeah you, never mind that of like, course drones are even if you're someone that like clinton with somalia just like 
Yeah. Every single president, and not just American president, every single world leader out there. Well, has of course, if you dial back welfare, even you know yeah. stuff like that, you like people will suffer in some ways if you do anything virtually. It's like there, there is absolutely, and it's, it's just a reality. And and the thing is, like, th this kind of talk. I think it's like um, it's been escalated because it's Bush, but the whole rhetoric of this person has literally killed person, it, it applies to literally anyone who doesn't agree with you now. Because, I mean, I've been accused of having blood on my hands because I want to dial back the welfare state. Right. And so, you know, that means people are going to starve and they'll die, whatever. I, I have blood on my hands because I want border control. That means that people aren't allowed to flee terrible situations and come here. So they die and, and it's like... And by converse, you've got blood on your hands if you want a bigger welfare state because then you're taxing people into poverty and then mm -hmm. they end up in, in yeah, an every, addiction, whatever it is. killing you know, like, everybody. Yeah. Essentially. So. And it's like, if, if you are able to boil down the politics of, I guess, your opposition into they've killed people, they want to kill people, you're doing it wrong. You don't understand. Again, that doesn't mean the other person is right, but to no. essentially equate them with a murderer, it's, it, it's just it, not a good way to be. And we have other people, uh, this person says in regard to Ellen, look, I'm too rich for her decision. Sorry. Look, I'm too rich for his decisions to really affect me is what this boils down to. Someone else says loud and clear. I mean, I, is she talking about the economy? Like, I'm not even sure what just Bush kills people. Well, she's just except, immune to. Yeah, I except guess rich people. Yeah. So it doesn't affect her. Another person says the whole story is how badly you've sold out your LGBTQ plus brethren to hold on to wealth and power. Someone else says proof that classism comes first if you're in the right class. So apparently he's awful because he's anti-gay, wards, like, you know, all, all of the things. And nowhere in what Ellen said on her segment says that I agree with any of this. No. With anything he's done, you know, having, sitting next to him at a game is not the same thing as going out and voting for him. And even if you are someone who voted for George Bush, I would be very, very hesitant to say that you've, I don't know, like, you, you've literally killed people. It's just like we've become caricatures in each other's minds of just the, the worst uh, form of our own political parties that you could possibly, possibly imagine. And I mean, I, I will say that, you know, I think this is mo most prominent on the left, um, you know, the, the way that people have kind of pounced on Ellen, although I will say maybe some people just hate Bush. It's not that they're leftists, but right, -wing yeah. right wingers can do it too. We can. I think it's less organized and weaponized than it is among the left, but it, it's not like it doesn't exist at all. For example, I mean, no one was getting mad at Bush for hanging out with Ellen. So that is fair to say kudos for the right for not being mad at Bush for hanging out with Ellen. I don't I don't know how you could get mad at anyone for hanging out with Ellen, though. She seems nice. Um, but Kathy Jew, who was the model that had her Miss Michigan titles stripped from her for being a, a Trump supporter, essentially, she recently went to a free speech conference that featured several different panels and various speakers. And she was pictured with an alt-right commentator who was also a speaker there. And so the, the person in question, I'm not familiar with all of his views. And so, you know, I'm not the one characterizing him as alt-right. That's what other people are saying about him. I apologize if that's a mischaracterization, but they weren't even on the same panel, but they were at a speaker's, it looked like a welcome dinner or something like that. And all the speakers took a picture together and some people freaked out at her. They freaked out at her. It seems like she was getting more hate than the guy who was apparently so awful that people can't even take pictures with him. It, it was the strangest thing. Like, how does that 
even make sense? Like, are you going to catch the other person's views if you're in proximity to them for too long? If you think that, you clearly don't have enough people in your life who have opposing views to you. I just don't understand what, what the thought process is there. Like, should there just be civil war to these people? Is yeah, should we just or murder or them? Like, should like, Madeline have, what should she have done? Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, if, if it's not acceptable to be in the same picture with other people, if we can't even attend a baseball game, football game with them, like, what... What is the appropriate amount of disgust and disdain that we should have for them? Because I think some people think that the, the your hostility or opposition to certain ideas is best represented by how um, aggressive you are to the people who hold those ideas. So like if I want to show that I'm really against, I don't know, let's say Hillary Clinton for president, I just have to go punch a Clinton supporter in the face and then that will communicate how much I hate Hillary Clinton. Yes, your virtue has been signaled. Exactly, by you know trying to shun, ostracize, and hurt the people who actually like her. Daryl Davis, he's a man who through friendship turned literally hundreds of former KKK members away from racism, right? I think he's got like 200... Or, or so of them where they've turned in their hoods to him and denounced racism and white supremacy. There are people out there, I'm sure, and we know this for a fact because Antifa did protest him in New Jersey at yeah. an event we went to. Unbelievable. Um, who will accuse him of enabling white supremacy because he befriends these people, which doesn't make any sense. But And some might say, oh, but it's different because he's trying to discourage them from racism whereas like you know you could just be friends with someone and not even try to change their racist ways it's like you don't know that you don't know what someone's conversations with another person are in their friendship what they talk about yeah, um, how they settle their disagreements you don't know that no at all and i mean if daryl davis didn't succeed fast enough like with one guy with one clan member like would the appropriate thing have been for him to stop being friends with the guy like what what is the appropriate amount of friendship time to invest with someone before you unfriend them because they're clearly not going to ch change their ways and start agreeing with you like how long should he be waiting after establishing friendship with these people and if someone doesn't change their views entirely is it not possible for the other person to at least be like, I don't know, a balancing presence in their life to at least give them right, another exactly. perspective from time yeah. to time, even if they still don't agree with each other. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't agree with a lot of them. I've got friends on the right and the left, yeah. right? And you just, sometimes I think that their ideas are quite wacky. And, but that doesn't change me from being their friends and hopefully, you know, having interesting conversations that, I don't know, I would like to think convince them or, or you know, maybe they convince me of some of my dumber ideas. I don't yeah. know, right? It's exactly. I think like the... The thing with having friends have different different political opinions uh, about each other, maybe you don't come around to each other's views, but at the very least, I would hope that it lessens the demonization they have in their heads about the opposition. Exactly. Right. So maybe right. my left-wing friends don't turn me left-wing, but they do let me see that left-wing people are people who can be nice and kind and that like they're not all bad. Mm -hmm. Of course. And so I, I shouldn't demonize all of them and assume they all have bad intentions. That, I think, is just as important. Um, and the thing that I think is that kindness and forgiveness, they're, they're supposed to be radical qualities. If you look at other civilizations, there aren't many civilizations who, um, or cultures who emphasize the benefits or the virtue of being kind to your enemies, praying for your enemies, or, you know, forgiving people who have wronged you. That's something that is pretty unique to Christianity and the West. And an example of that, that I wanted to bring up is that, Brant Jean, he is the brother of the man who was shot in his own apartment by the cop who mistakenly entered and thought it was where she lived. Right. Um, she was recently sentenced to some jail time. I, I think, think 10, 10 years. years yeah. Yep. Very, very sad story. 
um, he, uh, a video of him, I think he was testifying, actually went viral because in his testimony, he displayed a radical act of kindness and forgiveness. He actually forgave the person who accidentally murdered his brother, mistakenly shot his brother dead. And we have a clip of this. A lot of people have probably seen it by now, but I think it's worth watching again in the context of this story. It was a simple gesture of compassion that moved the world. Can, can I give her a hug, please? Yes. 18-year-old Brad John embracing the woman found guilty of murdering his older brother, Botham. That was just my gesture of letting her know that I truly forgive her. After eight days of testimony, the jury found her guilty of murder in less than five hours. The prosecution asked for 28 years behind bars, but the jurors sentenced Geiger to just 10. They were asking us to take an eye for an eye for both of them, and I feel like he, he isn't someone who would take an eye for an eye. He would turn the other cheek. I know a lot of people are not happy about the 10 years, but I feel like you can't compare this case to any of those other officers killing unarmed black men. Those officers that kill unarmed black men, when they got out, they went back to living their lives. Amber Geiger, ever since she killed that man, she has not been the same. Clearly a man of enormous moral conviction there. I don't know if I would have the strength to do what he did. He ended up actually hugging her. And I mean, I, there were people online after that happened that were actually mad at him for forgiving her. But the thing is, you know, holding on for these feelings of, holding on to these feelings of resentment, that doesn't really do anything to the other person. I think- no hatred like that and bitterness like that really weighs on you as a person. So I think as a society, we need to stop thinking it's acceptable to treat people poorly or with a lack of kindness or respect because we disagree with them. That doesn't mean we have to enable everything they want to do. You know, I'm not saying Ellen needs to go out campaigning for Bush and his wars and all that. No, absolutely not. Um, I don't think that this gentleman who whose brother died likes what she did, but it's just no, we need to be kind. That's what makes it, you know, such an amazing act. To forgive. Right. Exactly. Uh, so I want to give some of our viewers a voice here because I'm sure that some of them feel like it's it's more pragmatic or like they have a more pragmatic sense of what's going on to some degree where they're saying, yeah, you're right. It's 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 good to forgive people, but but and it's good to try to be friends with the left and not demonize them like George Bush with mm -hmm. Ellen DeGeneres. We don't see too much backlash on his end. But sure. it's, it is yeah. going in the other direction. It's all the left on us. Shouldn't we fight fire with fire? Shouldn't we just say, demonize them all? And, you know, or are we just going to lose if we don't do that? I mean, well, I hope there are no Christians asking me that because I think if, if you are a Christian who's saying that kind of thing, you'd know what Jesus would say. It would not be positive. But I think even just in the more pragmatic sense, which a lot of people might be thinking of, the, the way that these people are acting toward Ellen for being friends with someone... Um, they are alienating so many people who might consider them leftists or liberals otherwise, right? Um, we see that with people like Tim Pool and Sargon, who like, you know, other in another world might be, you know, hardcore on the left, but because of the violence and vitriol we see from some of these people, they're being pushed away. They're starting to reconsider, okay, maybe I have some, some things that I need to mull over. Because if you are someone who... I don't know, it was maybe really on the boat of progressivism and like, yeah, um, Bush is evil, I hate him, but you have Republican family members yourself who supported him, seeing that 
you can't even be friends with, maybe it's not right to be friends with your family members, that must give you some pause and make you reconsider. Um, if for optics, if nothing else, right? If nothing else, but for optics and the way it's gonna look to other people, we can't start acting as poorly as these other people are acting. And that actually, I mean, it's exactly like the, um, the Antifa video of those people yelling at the old woman. Do you think that looked good for Antifa? Do you think that endeared people toward Antifa at all? I don't think so. Um, but in any case, I think that's all the time we have for today. Again, if you're watching live, be sure to stay on this stream. We're going to be back in just a few seconds with some exclusive Q&A. But for everyone else, we will see you next week. Bye.